Good evening, ladies and gentle niggas, and welcome to another episode of Intimate Revelations with the Devin Negro. I am your host, Nico Lamar, a.k.a. Nick Tropicana, a.k.a. Hershey Hawkins, B.K.A. The Rehabilitated Fuckboy, and um, yeah, man, uh, this is my first episode back. When I say back, meaning I'm back in the States, just returned from a long seven-month deployment. It's good to be back on American soil. Um, currently, uh, courtesy of Uncle Sam, I am in a status called restriction of movement, aka your boy is in quarantine, practicing my social distancing, my personal isolation, you know, um, and I'm finally got like a firsthand understanding of what you guys have been going through and suffering from, you know, for you know, the the last seven months. So on today's episode, we have a special guest. Um, I, we, we talk about a few things today. Um, there's a myriad of topics out there to talk about. Um, mine may sound or may be a little, uh, a little behind, but it's because I'm catching, I'm, I'm playing catch up certain things that I'm just now experiencing, getting a better grasp of because it's there's a difference between, you know, watching, watching shit on the news and actually being a part of it, feeling it and being a, you know, being a part of what's going on. So, you know, I give my two cents in, on about this, this COVID-19 fiasco we all find ourselves in what i've experienced since i've been i've been back uh one of the bright spots is the nba has returned so we talk about that man um because it's always good to have a certain ray of sunshine in in the dark times but we talk about a few things man i'm 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 pretty satisfied with what what we put together uh, the conversation was long overdue. Um, today's guest is Quincy McBride. He has a, a MBA in digital marketing. He is a former executive. He is the founder of A16 Digital Studios. And most importantly, he's my cousin, man. So it's part of that networking, using your resources and taking taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, so, you know, you got two black men building having productive and positive conversation and, you know, trying to bring some, some joy and positivity in this time of darkness, man. Well, not darkness, but I don't want to get too grim with y'all, but y'all know, like, shit ain't sweet around here. So without further ado, man, this is episode 013 of Intimate Revelations with the Devin Negro. Let's get it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, niggas, today we have a very special guest, uh, a guest that is near and dear to my heart. 
Today on Intimate Revelations, we have Quincy McBride, MBA, co-founder of A16 Studios, and my first best friend, my cousin. Welcome to the Debra Negro, Quincy. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man, it's a long time coming. We've been talking about this. Uh, I guess it, I guess it took a while because you know me, I've been kind of flaking, but you know I've been out of the country on this deployment. I'm finally back, and uh, I'm glad to, I'm glad to get into this, man. So, uh, welcome, welcome. Glad to finally have you. And uh, like I said, a long time coming. So, uh, as we get into this. How have you been navigating the new normal of social distancing, quarantine, and then life after, during and after COVID? Well, I guess that's the million dollar question, but I probably only have a dollar answer. So I guess I've been navigating this new normal pretty much like everyone who's trying to be progressive and proactive in, you know, not actually catching COVID-19. So that's social distancing, uh, wearing a mask whenever I'm out in public, washing my hands for 20 minutes uh, when I get home and taking preventative measures such as, you know, stocking up on vitamins, keep flow for my heart health, uh, doing breathing exercises to strengthen my lungs just in case I do, God forbid, COVID-19 and trying to stay as positive as possible and, you know, stay goal-oriented and drink as much OJ as possible. <laughs> I feel you. So, uh, you say, you know, wearing a mask when you out in public. So, I'm assuming you are a socially aware individual and you're responsible. So, when you're going out, you know... Are you going out, you know, like working out uh, just to get fresh air or are you just mostly just staying in the house and just going out for the essentials? Mostly staying in the house and only going out for essentials. Sometimes I'll walk around the neighborhood. Sometimes I try to stay in shape by jumping rope. But over here in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Zone 6 area where I live at, uh, many of the parks and recreation centers are shut down. So uh, it's been trying to, you know, stay as active and productive as possible, you know, and trying to slow the spread like everyone else except for our president. <laughs> oh, well, well, um, mentioning you living in Georgia and, you know, uh, with Georgia being one of those states that is being run by Nikumpoop, uh, which our governor, uh, what's his name? Brian Kemp, right? So yeah. how how have you viewed the handling and the governorship of this whole situation during the, the pandemic? Because, you know, I I, I recently returned uh to the States from, you know, my tour overseas and what i've seen being inside the epicenter here in florida i've seen like some gross negligence in just the week that i've been here so i would like to hear your perspective on how things have been run in your state because your governor stole the election 
he's a average C student and he's not the the sharpest knife in the toolbox. So I know you got a lot to say about, you know what I'm saying, how he's been handling things over there. Well, I would say that Georgia was one of the first states to begin to reopen back during May. I felt that it was a little too soon. I know the local city leadership here in Atlanta, they felt that reopening the state was a little bit too soon. So I think that here in Atlanta, they've taken like preventative measures to reduce the chance of infection by telling people to stay at home, wearing a mask in public, um, you know, making sure we are able to avoid crowded places by shutting down like concerts and everything like that. But I think as far as the state itself, we have to understand that Atlanta is a very liberal, uh, pro-black oriented city. I mean, it's not the city. Georgia is pretty much like every other state in the South. You know, it's um, very conservative. Um, they don't always err on the side of scientific um responsibility so i think that at this point it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of a tough question to answer because you would have to go back to originally when we were first warned about the covid 19 virus and what was that failed. what was that january actually it was in january yeah um, I think like some mainstream publications were picking up this story back in November, December, but I think it really started hitting the mainstream around like late January, February. So when you're talking about containment measures, um, you know, there were proper containment measures in the beginning. So this thing just pretty much inspired out of control. And I think that the governor of Georgia wants to reopen the economy for good measures because, I mean, you have millions and millions of people who are furloughed, laid off from their jobs. You know, they're receiving unemployment benefits, which is just basically a temporary band-aid. But it's like we have to find some way to get people back to work. At the same time, we have to, you know, find ways to reduce the spread of the disease. Um, so... For me, it's just like really um, kind of like a slippery slope. It's kind of like you damn if you do, you damn if you don't with regard to the original failed um, containment measures put in place by the administration. Yeah, because it was one. It was one of those things where uh, capitalism outweighed, you know, responsibility in a way. Because you know, like everybody's in a rush to reopen because the the economy is suffering but if you look in comparison other countries you know they did the necessary due diligence they shut down they paid people to stay home everybody paid the sacrifice for what a month or two and now like countries in europe they're already opening but you know that american entitlement has led us to a, a point to where like any semblance of normal we can pos we can pretty much forget about that at this point like this is not going away this is here for however long and I, for the foreseeable future, I don't see anything changing to be honest. Cause you know, like we in the middle of it and all these other countries, they on the other side right now. 
Well, I think one of the main like silver linings in this, if you choose to become vaccinated, is that a COVID nineteen vaccine is expected to go to market sometime in two thousand twenty one. How do you how do you feel about that? Because I I have like uh, surface knowledge on it. I've heard about it. And, you know, like Bill Gates and his wife, they're talking about, you know, uh, spearheading this. And she's talking about African-Americans should be on the forefront of vaccination. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that African-Americans are going to be at the forefront of people getting vaccinated because we are the ones suffering disproportionately from the COVID-19 um, virus. And it's not due to a conspiracy theory, it's just due to the fact that African-Americans typically live in lower income, more toxic environments, and many of us have pre-existing conditions. So um, I think from the standpoint of Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, they're going with the population that is being affected, you know, more disproportionately. So in their minds, they're probably like, okay, well, yeah, we need to test black people. Everyone's suffering from it. But I think that as an African-American, there's always been kind of like this fear factor associated with, you know, vaccinations. I mean, we can all remember the Tuskegee experiment. And not only that, I think just the general consensus is that I'm not signing up to be a guinea pig, you know. It's like I don't wait till like the first wave of people get tested, you know, they acquire immunity against the disease, then that's fine. But uh, you know, right now I'm just like waiting for the vaccine to go to market simply so um I can see if, you know, it's actually gonna be successful, you know, in building up an acquired immunity for millions of Americans that you know, are suffering from this disease. How crazy, how crazy would it be if you did sign up to be vaccinated, right? And you take this vaccine and then you end up like Marlon Wayans in that movie Senseless and shit. Like, you can see like a hawk and all your senses are amplified and you can like <laughs> use that shit to like bury your... Like, how, how upset would they be if they started this shit off to be like some Tuskegee experiment shit and like they just vaccinated and just make a whole bunch of like super amplified niggas and shit, man? Like, how done would they be? That would be nuts. Right, like you become a meta human? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They unlocked the meta gene and niggas that, that was brought upon by our suffering and shit and they just got a whole bunch of like Captain America's running around here. That shit would be nuts. But um on a serious note, so I read I read about um like I think it was in like New York City and they were I I think it was in like the Bronx or something like this and they were testing like this lower income like uh population of people and they were saying like uh due to how they were you know, battered by the first wave of COVID, they are testing, like their bodies have like um, adjusted and they have found higher levels of antibodies to the coronavirus going into possibly this supposed second wave of the virus that's expected to come. Like, did you hear anything about that? <laughs> nah, I didn't hear about that story. Um, Yeah, man, I really found that interesting. Uh, the the survival spirit 
of the in, impoverished, like how your how the body just adjusts to the trauma and the and the and the you know what I'm saying like the everything that's thrown at you is just like you know like going into the second wave they were finding that these people were testing with higher levels of antibodies i found that very interesting i forgot i forgot i think i was on yahoo just one yahoo one day you know i'm on government time i got time to research shit and i just found that mind mind boggling i didn't even know we were done with the first wave i mean what do you mean me neither, but that's that's just how you know the article was written. Is, is it specific to that community in the Bronx? Well, that that was just the only, you know, that test was in like an isolated um, vicinity. I don't know if they're doing this, you know, like countrywide or whatever, but that was just being reported in the Bronx at that time. Okay, yeah, because right now. Based on what I know, we're still on our first wave, and we haven't even begun our second wave yet, which is very critical because flu season is right around the corner. So you're going to have people that are experiencing common flu-like symptoms. They might have a bad cold, and they're going to the ER thinking that they have COVID. And you're going to have people that actually have COVID. They're not going to be able to receive the treatment because these hospitals and clinics are going to be filled to capacity. Yeah. You know, similar to what we experienced back in March. You know, ICUs are like a 400%. You had niggas in ventilators in the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was... The hospital is the only place they can give you a bed is in the bathroom. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so when that shit first happened in New York, they was like, they was just finding bodies everywhere. Like, <laughs> like they was just stuffing niggas in cabinets and shit, like in the hospitals from what I read. I, it was like really nuts. Um, I guess that's what they were talking about. The second wave though, um, going into, you know, like flu season and all this shit because they're, uh, pseudoscience was debunked because they were talking about in the beginning that, you know, the the viruses subside in the summer, during the summer months. And that shit is alive and well, man. That shit came back like The Undertaker. Yeah, it seemed like <laughs> the sun had the same, like, makeup in the COVID-19 virus as how the sun affects Kyle L. Like, I was just... <laughs> I was just about to say that, like, the nigga Superman get beat by a fucking dark side and, like, fly to the sun and shit, he come back stronger. <laughs> That's what... The sad thing about it is that I think that many people of the general public, they are not aware of the severity of COVID-19, and they don't understand that COVID-19 is basically a gateway to pneumonia, which is the upper respiratory part of the disease and basically pneumonia is going to cause all of your organs to shut down and you're going to die. So it's not really COVID-19 that people need to be worried about is I'm worried about catching COVID-19 because I don't want to catch pneumonia. Yeah. So for me, you know, being away, being outside of it, being in my own bubble and just seeing it from afar, it's like, you like, damn, man, that's crazy. But you go on about your every day. But in like the last month, Last month and a half, I've had 
like three family members like die of this shit, you know? Like like close family members. Like my dad, my dad's sister, like she just recently died. RIP to her. And you know, uh my stepdad, like his sister died of that shit too. So it's just like really, really hitting home and making me, you know, really conscious about, you know, I wanna be I just got back. I wanna see my parents, but it's like you got to stay away because they, as you said, they got pre-existing conditions and they're in that demographic to where they're more susceptible to infection. So this shit, like this week being back is like being real, like very real for me. Yeah, we're definitely in the thick of it now. I told you that being here is a lot different than what you've been reading and seeing on TV. Like you're in the belly of the beast. We become the epicenter of this pandemic and it's spiraling out of control because you can't flatten the curve. I think nine states are flattening the curve and these are places where nobody visits, like Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. <laughs> like Yeah. So like they have they don't have they don't they they have nigger proof their states. <laughs> <laughs> and they just stay in, you know, is nobody lives there. So your closest neighbor is probably like fucking five, two miles away from you. They don't they don't have condensed uh disenfranchised populations, so it's not spreading like it is in the the urban environment. And then from my perspective, I see why shit is so bad here. Like I get back to Florida, right? And I go I go, you know, I go see one of my homeboys when I first get back. You know, I go get there. I got my mask on. And, like, right when I pull up, the nigga's like, yo, yo, why you got that mask on? You might as well take that mask off. You're going to catch it regardless. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what? they like, yeah, man, you know, you an epicenter. You might as well just go ahead and catch it, man. And go ahead and catch it. So uh, do it now. So you got people to take care of you when you get better. I'm like, bruh. Like I know for a fact these niggas ain't never seen a condom they ever wanted to pull on. Cause that's my that's my that's my take from it. If you can't wear a mask, you definitely don't wear condoms, bro. And it's like you definitely a part of the problem, man. Like you are patient zero. And you go out, you go out to grocery stores, you go out, you just riding around. Like in Florida, for the most part, nobody's wearing a mask, man. They just out here. It's like on some book of Eli shit, man. It's crazy out here. Like, I'm like, yo, like, do they understand? Like, when you hit, when you hit epicenter, like, of the world, like, you know how big the world is, and like, Florida of all of that is like, right in the thick of that shit, and it's like, yeah, because they were the first state to try to reopen the economy. Like niggas, like people, like really at the beach on boats and in the water, like drinking beer and listening to Leonard Skinner and shit. Like this shit is nuts, man. And I'm like, I guess they was just like, yo, uh, we going to pretend it's not there until it goes away. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's two ways to interpret data that we're receiving about COVID-19. You have the infection rate and then you have the, mortality rate and when you look at the infection rate it's pretty high when you look at the mortality rate it's pretty low 
So if people are seeing that, okay, well, the mortality rate, let's say, for example, is 4.7%. That's not high enough to stop me from being on my boat drinking beers and, you know, My bad. Sorry about that. So, you know, that's like one way to look at it. But people still have to live their life. It's really kind of hard to, like, federally enforce a no math, no entry policy in, you know, private businesses. Uh, they can afford to, in, you know, the local and state jurisdictions and private employers, they can mandate that people, you know, wear a mask from entering this space with really no way to enforce that. One of the main reasons why places like Walmart may be lacked in certain places is because People are going to Walmart without a mask and people are telling them to put on a mask and, you know, some of these people, they beating up these employees. <laughs> like, I will say. You know, over this no mask, no entry policy. Like a security, a black security guard was killed. Uh, I want to say it was, I think it was in Tennessee. I'm not sure. He's working at a Dollar General. And they had a no mask no entry policy and a rowdy customer was trying to enter the premise without one and somehow it got into an argument and escalated and the guy pulled out a gun and shot the security guard. <laughs> Fuck he, man. Bro He died. This thing. Could you like could you imagine like a more worthless re- way to lose your life? Like getting killed over a no mask, no entry policy at a fucking Dollar General by a hillbilly that can't follow, you know, protocol, man. Like, like, what the fuck, man? Like, I, I just, I just don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think the guy that shot him was black. Oh shit! It was like black on black. <laughs> oh shit! That's black on black crime. Like what? Yeah. Damn, I apologize to all the hillbillies out there for generalizing <laughs> you then. My fault. My fault. I just assumed that was some white shit. I'm sorry. That... You assume getting shot? You assume a black man being murdered is some white shit? Over a no mask, no entry policy at a Dollar General? Yes. I assume... Oh, Nah, I assumed it was some uh, white man with a NASCAR t-shirt on with some cut-off jeans... Oh. And Let me because <laughs> you got to give me context. You got to give me context. You say what? I said, let me refrain because people are called a nigga because of the way that they act, not because they're black. So oh, oh yeah. Was some nigga shit, but I think the actual assailant was black. Oh, yeah. I was just talking to my. I was just talking to my sister about it today, like. I was saying nigga, and then she was like, assuming I was talking about black people, and I was like, nah, like, their niggas come in all shapes, sizes, and 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 uh, creeds. So when I say nigga, I I mean that as a generalized term for it, for ignorant shit. Yeah, we also have to be clear because the original niggas were white Americans. Hey man, hey, you going into that Nick Cannon territory now? You know what I'm no, saying? I ain't, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to get canceled before I get on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nah, 
me let me explain myself, right? It's like let's say you have <clears throat> Van Gogh and he paints a wonderful painting called Starry Night. And you look at Starry Night and you have many different emotions about the painting. You can say, Oh, it's a melancholy melancholy painting, it's sad, it's this, it's that. But that's basically his expression on that canvas. So it's the same thing when you take the mentality of a nigga. You have to have that inside of you in order to create it. Right. So you take African, you take away his language, you take away his uh, religion, all of these particular things, and you say, okay, well, you're just a nigga. Well, you, it's like you have to be the nigga in order to create the nigga, like <laughs> Dr. Frank. Oh, shit. The way you just broke that down, you like, uh, they have taken the inspiration from within and painted a masterpiece of nigga. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's like what James Baldwin said is like, you have to give them their nigga back. <laughs> yeah. How do you. So a nigga is an ignorant person. Fact. Originally, it has nothing to do with you being black or. African-American is just that African-Americans due to the fact that they weren't allowed to read or write or attend, you know, their institutions of education for hundreds of years. There is an education gap, but still, you know, it's like, who is sadder, Frank, Dr. Frankenstein or the monster, you know? Mm. But I mean, it's the same way that they painted the, the Native Americans too, you know what I'm saying? Branding them savages and shit. When... If you look at their practice, if you look at, <laughs> you say what? I said, but you murdered them all, but they're the savages. <laughs> nigga, you gave them, like these niggas invited you over, gave you a nice dinner, and then you was like, you know what, man? They got some nice shit. And then you just slaughter all of them. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a disconnect. It's like, I don't like when men call women hoes, right? Like, a guy who sleep with a woman is like, yeah, man, I was with this, man, this nasty whole last night. That bitch nasty. But then it's like, bro, you slept with her. You enjoyed her body the same way she was enjoying yours. Like, wouldn't you be a hoe too? I gave you what you gave me, boo. A nut. For real. <laughs> yeah, man. <All> right. <laughs> that's that's facts. Uh, Circling back to that, that, uh, that, that Nick Cannon tirade. Like, you know, it's crazy. I was listening to that shit, and it just seems like to me he just listened to Nature of the Threat and just went ham. Got on the radio and just got on his uh, platform and just went crazy. Yeah, but it's also time for Nick Cannon to take that turban off. Why so? Because he's been emasculated. I'm not condoning what he said. I'm not saying that what he said was right or wrong that's subject to one's on the pen. I just don't believe in people apologizing after they said something that they actually meant. So when he was talking to Professor Griffin, he was like, yeah, because you know, the whites and the Jews have less melanin, and because they have less melanin, that makes them you know, less, less human, because melanin is like this God chemical that induces the black man with a higher level of spirituality. It makes us, you know, able to risen to the level of the gods and because white people have less melanin they're savage 
messages and that's not true because a white man can be a god and a black man can be a devil because we're just talking about a devil. The devil doesn't care anything about your race. So you meant what you said, so say what you mean and stand on it. Like even with it doesn't have to be even Nick, say for example, um having issues with these melanin deficient white people, it could be Paula Dean, you know, apologizing for something that she actually meant. I just don't believe in that. Like if I say something and I mean it, I'm not apologizing for it. Or if I do apologize, it will only be because I've taken the time for myself to reflect, you know, like I meditated on it and I, you know, come to a different point of view versus, okay, oh uh, man, I, I, I've afraid of these Ashkenazi Jews. They're the ones who, you know, sign on my paycheck. I got to apologize now. What have I done? Like, you must have that turban on a little bit too tight. Yeah. Shout out to Mel Gibson for never apologizing. Exactly. Like Donald Trump. Like, you can't get canceled if you don't apologize. This is what people need to understand about cancel culture. But it's... Because it works like this. It's, it's, it's like marketing, right? Okay. Look at, let's say, Donald Trump, right? He never apologizes for anything that he says. So, how can you cancel Donald Trump But he doesn't care? You can't... You can't... You got to understand... but. I'm pretty sure you do understand, but it's different bags though. Like Nick Cannon is, of course, he's a, he's he's a boss. Like he employs other people, but he is he gets his bag filled by someone else. You know what I'm saying? Um, like Ashkenazi Jews, Viacom, CBS, right? Same company owns BET. Right. It's like uh, Scarface was a boss. But he still had a supplier, you know what I'm saying? So, in the grand scheme of things, you're not a boss. Like if you if you're not the supplier, you're not a boss, and that's that's what it is with Nick. Like you gotta apologize. Donald Trump don't have to apologize because Donald Trump don't have no boss. Like Mel Gibson don't have no boss. Like he went out here, he made uh fucking uh the blood sport of. Christianity of the crucifixion and uh, what's that movie? Damn, the the title Passion of the Christ, which was like fucking UFC of Jesus crucifixion, made a billion dollars, and now you know what I'm saying I can say whatever I want because I'm a I I got the bag, you know, like he ain't he ain't reaching out for somebody to fill his cup like Nick is, like you know you you. I, that was one of those other things where they were talking about people preaching ownership, but they don't own their own shit. It's like, buy a company. I don't even mean to cut you off, but Nick Cannon knows very well who the chairperson of Viacom CBS is. And right now, it's Sherry Redstone, who's the daughter of Summer Redstone, Sumner Redstone. And these people are Jewish. So it's like, how are you going to go on the network speaking to your audience and expect this not to get back to the producers and you not offend the Jewish community, the Ashkenazi Jewish community, period, because that's who you're referring to. Yeah. It wasn't smart, man, but I guess you got to find a hill. Sometimes you got to find a hill and die on it because then now you just look like a goofy. Right, which is why I say he had to take that turban off. Fair enough. Um, you know, 
segueing, segueing into another topic. So, how you feeling about uh, this NBA, this NBA bubble shit? I'm seeing that um, the game starts tomorrow. I think like the Jazz and Pelicans play, and the Lakers and Clippers play tomorrow. Like, how you see this? How you see this shaking out? I mean, I'm a fan of the NBA, so I'm gonna watch it regardless. I don't think that many people are gonna be tuned in um, to the Orlando bubble games like they would be. This was the regular season with fans in attendance and everything like that. I've been watching some of the preseason scrimmage games, and you know, it's interesting on several different viewpoints, but I feel like it's something that we kind of need in a way because a lot of people are stressed out and, you know, sometimes you do need a good healthy dose of entertainment, you know, to take your mind away from all of this craziness that's going on um, in the media. So I saw, like, during the scrimmage, they have, like, the Black Lives Matter mural painted on the court. Uh, Players are allowed to wear, like, different slogans on their jersey, promoting messages of, like, equality and inclusion. So, um, you know, that's my take on it. I mean, I'm going to watch the game. I I think that jersey... I think that jersey shit is whack, man, to be honest. I... I just it just it just comes off cheesy to me like uh justice now or how many more like okay I get that at the end of the day if a cop has the cojones to go out and blow an innocent person away wearing a body cam like nobody cares about your message on the back of your jersey man because it's it's a deeper issue than that like what happened to motherfuckers afraid of getting caught? They not. So clearly, they not worried about your message on your jersey. You know what I'm saying? Like I just don't feel like that attacks the the issue because these people do not feel that they will ever be held accountable. Like the Breonna Taylor situation. Like to be to be killed in your house, sleep not doing shit and they they come into your crib erroneously shoot your crib up kill you and nobody's held accountable what the fuck is that jersey gonna do and everybody knows about this you know what i'm saying like the the woeful ignorance the lack of value in black lives the lack of accountability is so grotesque like no painting on a court no slogan on the back of a jersey that shit is not gonna get it done so for me i just feel like it's symbolism and it's just to to make people people just want to feel comfortable in my in my opinion and that shit doesn't do anything so i just feel like it's it's empty calories at this point yeah, that's an interesting perspective, I guess, from my viewpoint. I can see what you know you're talking about. I don't feel like it hurts anything though. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't hurt anything, but I don't feel like it it helps anything either. 
I just, I just, I, I don't like. I don't know. That's just, that's just me. Maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being cynical about it. But you know, uh, for me, I was enjoying all the civil unrest and anarchy better, cause I feel like that does more than names on jerseys, uh, slogans on jerseys and shit like this. Like how. You know, when Kanye, crazy ass, was talking about throwing his hat in the ring and people were like, oh, a, vo- a vote for Kanye is a vote for Trump. So what? Like, who cares at this point? Like, um, I don't know why people feeling like, you know, Joe Biden is going to help or change anything. Like, that shit is not going to change anything. So it's like, why are people so afraid of, you know, being uncomfortable? Like, I feel like names on jerseys, people playing basketball again, just gets people back to a sense of normalcy and comfort. And it just puts us back into the into the rut of the the path that we were headed on, which is not changing well, shit, not addressing shit, and nothing changing. Well, if NBA players playing in the bubble down there in Orlando – can have the type of societal impact that makes people complacent and passive. Women took this as a that proved that they have the type of impact to actually impact change by, say, for example, being advocates for what's going on in society by using their voices, their resources, their monies to help bring about awareness and, you know, march and fight for justice. Because I see the NBA games as basically like a tournament. I mean, I think that the season with the playoffs is like a month. And then they're going to have to decide what are we really going to do about the 2021 season, which is the larger issue at hand for the NBA But at the same time, in terms of you saying that you're all for anarchy and protests, I think what people fail to realize is that the protests never stop. Like, protests are still going on. Like, you understand media, they'll run a segment about two, three weeks, and then another story will pop up, and they run with that. So people are still out here marching, protesting. Police officers are still... Tuning down innocent people. Right. And, you know, shit up. Like, look at what's going on in Portland. Like, Portland is basically like how Minneapolis was a month ago. Right. But at the grant. Change with regards to like these protests. I don't see how the bubble distracts. Okay. Okay. So, so not. So, my thing is, you have. You know what I'm saying? Things like the NBA and uh, entanglements and Meg the Stallion getting shot and all this shit, that gets people's minds onto something else. That gets people's minds back uh, off of what what you know what we're talking about, the protests and all the shit that's still going on. But that narrative is it's almost like the newspaper is pushed from the front page to page three. Page three is still important, but when you read the newspaper, how many people go to page three? People read the front page and the funny papers. You but know Steve, what I'm saying? That's all about an individual's choice. Because when you tune in to the NBA, 
if that's your form of entertainment, you're going to be watching players with messages about social justice on their jersey. You're going to see a Black Lives Matter mural on the court. You're going to hear people talking about, you know, why haven't the killers of Breonna Taylor been arrested? But if you tune in to uh, world star hip hop or media takeout, of course you're going to see stories about Meg the um, Stallion getting shot in the foot and, you know, whatever fuckery goes on on those mediums. So I feel like even if the COVID, well, I said the COVID bubble, <laughs> uh, NBA bubble, it is, that's, it that, it's, the, it's the COVID that, bubble. You said what? It's, it's the COVID bubble. You were, you were right on. Yeah, because that's really the safest place in the world right now is down there in the NBA bubble. Is it? With niggas uh, like Lou Will on the loose? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no players have tested positive. Like, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. Yet. Yet. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before, uh, before these IG models start getting flown in again, man. It's only so long, man, that Cats can, can, can abstain. I mean, look at Lou Williams. You know, he left the bubble to go to Magic City, and he got caught. At first, he tried to lie and say that it was like, an old was picture. Old pic. Yeah, and you know, he had to come clean and say he only went there for some wings and Magic City is his favorite restaurant. I'm like, yeah, that's true, man. You just bought like the most expensive meal in human history. They found him. They found him like one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. So that's how much he played. Don't goddamn wings. One hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. So shit, they got to make him a partner in Magic City or something like that. Man. Like, <laughs> he got to be. Hey, he got to get that. He got to get that. Uh, that Jay Z, uh, New Jersey Nets ownership in Magic City. Got to get. You know, they got to make him a minority owner. I don't know, man. Like, this whole shit, to me... Well, those better have been the best damn chicken wings in the world if you paid $100,000 for them. Have you, have you ever eaten in Magic City as a long-time Atlanta resident? Nah. Is, nah. It be, is it because you just don't go to strip clubs, or have you been there and you just chose not to eat? No, it's because I don't go to strip clubs, number two. Even if I did go to strip clubs, I couldn't imagine myself like sitting down eating a meal while somebody's asshole is all in my face. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must be it must be a family trait because I'm not a as it with everything that you know you know about me and all the jokes you made about you know my my deviant behavior. I'm not a big fan of strip clubs, man. Like that's just not my vibe. I always feel uncomfortable in them. Like I, I don't know what to do with my hands, man. Like it's like I'm in the strip club. Like the last one of the last times I'm in the strip club with my best friend, man. We in there, and I'm <laughs> we at the stage. Chick is dancing or whatever, and I'm putting my dollars. Like she's dancing in front of me, and I'm putting my dollars on the stage, right? And my friend look at me. He like, yo, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like. Like, why are you being weird? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean being weird? I'm just paying her her money. He's like, why are you putting it on the stage like a creep? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, you know, I don't, you know, I ain't trying to be groping this woman and all that. He was like, nah. He just took the money and like smacked her on the ass. With I was like, yeah, that's 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 not how I get down. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
for me, I'm just going to put it here, enjoy the dance or whatever. So me and him going back and forth and the stripper turn around while we talking. And she like, yeah, I wouldn't go say nothing, but you are being weird. I was like, because I'm showing you, I'm showing you respect as a human. You know what, man? Yo, fuck this shit. Like the strip club is, is not my vibe, but you know, they got human. They're strippers. I mean, they, they still human beings though, right? No, they're strippers. Hey man, that, that is not the opinion. That is not the opinion of Nico Lamar or us at Intimate Revelations with the W Negro. That is not our opinion. We respect all people and all strippers. No, and um, in all seriousness, what strip club did you go to? I think, I think this was uh stadium. Stadium in, nah, in DC. Stadium in DC, oh, man. I don't know if they've changed, but on Friday nights, that shit is lit. Like you can pay to get in. It's uh, you 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 can drink for free as long as you drink in bottom shelf. They have good wings and great hookah. So shout out the stadium. I didn't even know they had a strip club in DC. I thought they had like I knew they had like titty bars, but I didn't know they had like full fledged strip clubs. Bro, yes, yes, they got strip clubs. They got one joint. Uh, it was a real shithole, but it, it was kind of, it was like, kind of like one of the, the funnest ones that I went to. Like niggas was playing, uh, the music in the strip club from the cell phone. Like they had like a blown speaker. It was like in the middle of a neighborhood and the chicks was like dancing on like sticky stages, man. You can like get a butthole right in your face if that's what you like. And they would pour like strong drinks. It was nice. I think they closed it down. It's like condemned now, but. Shout out to Macombos, man. It was a it was an institution for a minute there. Oh wow! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course, man. DC, DC. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Know, I don't understand. I don't know why you wouldn't think they would have that, but yeah, they do. Because I guess, like, I thought the only place to have strip club, like the only cities, were Miami, Atlanta, Memphis, Vegas, California. Nah, well, I've never been to a strip club in California. To me, yeah. like... Being here in Atlanta, when I think about strip clubs, I just think of Atlanta or Miami. Yeah, because strip clubs in Vegas, like, kind of whack to me. They, like... you Like, it. they just... Everything in Vegas is, like, just over super expensive for no reason. But, you think um, so? In Vegas? Yeah. If you on the strip, yeah. Like, what do you mean everything is too expensive? I'm talking about like entertainment, not like houses and shit like that. Like what in- form of entertainment? Strip clubs? Strip clubs, clubs, day parties, all that. Hmm. I don't know, man. I never went to any parties when I was out in Vegas. I always just Get lost in the strip and the casinos and. I'm not. I'm yeah. not a. I'm not a gambler either, though. Like. I love Vegas, though. I, I'm not a gambler. I just. I'm not a gambler. I just love Vegas. It's just a different experience out there. I fucking. Vegas is different. I fucking hate Vegas, man. Like I might be one of the only people. That's crazy. I do like Las Vegas is like one of my least favorite like major attractions. Yeah. I I don't know. The strip, is like, the strip is like new. The strip is like Times Square on steroids, man. Like it's just that's like the littest shit in America. Is a Vegas strip. Yeah, Literally. it's just not my it's just not my bag. I was out there 
in January, and I was just like, "You want to go?" They were like, "You want to go to the strip?" And I'm like, "Nah, not really, to be honest." I was at uh, I was at was it Circus Circus, and I was just like playing like video games and shit, like the strip. Like for me, in 2010, I went out there. I probably went to Vegas like eight times in 2010, and I got some bad stories. Like, um, I was in Vegas. And I got into like a domestic dispute, if 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 that's what you want to call it. Like me and a chick got into it. She like threw a cell phone, hit me in the face. Mind you, we both like drunk at the time. And um, like the cops come, they like ask me if I want to press charges. She like five eleven in heels, running down the strip, <laughs> like running away from the cops and shit. She gets to the hotel. Uh, she tells. We were staying at the MGM. She tells security not to let me up. I finally get to the room. I, like, grab my shit uh, to leave. Um, so I grab my stuff, leave. It's maybe, like, 4 or 5 in the morning. I get in the back of the cab, pass out. I wake up. Like, uh, the cab driver, he yelling in uh, Arabic and shit. He like, get out. he, like, get out of my cab. You fall asleep. You pass out. You no pay. I'm like, yo, man, no problem. How much I owe you? I pay the dude. Get out the car. Mind you, I went and got my stuff, so I got I can never pack properly, so I got like a big-ass suitcase. And to put this in context, I had just had ACL surgery, right? So it was like 110 degrees. I got a big-ass suitcase, and I'm walking. Uh, I'm off the strip, so I'm up, I'm, I was going to uh, Nellis Air Force Base out there to go to one of my friends' house. So I'm like pulling this big-ass suitcase across the street. I, pull in, I go to this gas station because I'm going to get some water. And as soon as I, like, get to the gas station, maybe, like, three or four carloads of cops, like, pull up on me. And when they pull up on me, they get out, like, guns drawn, like, get on get on the ground and shit. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yo, what the fuck? And they, like, get on the ground. One dude, like, grabs me. His partner comes over. They, like, slam me on the car. They, like, checking my pockets, talking about... Like, no bullshit. This is 2010. This motherfucker's like, yo, where's the crack pipe? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he like, yo, where's the crack pipe? And I'm like, crack pipe? <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, crack pipe? Are you serious? And I'm like, yo, what did I do? What did I do? The dude's like, shut the fuck up. He like got his gun in my face and shit. He's like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, so I in my mind, when that happens, I see the gun. Like, I go numb. Like, I don't... Like, my whole body goes noodle. Like, whatever they going... Is it really worth it? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm saying, like, is all that really worth it even if you did have a crack pipe? Right. Like, if I'm if I'm out here smoking crack, I'm not a danger to anybody but myself. Like... <laughs> but anyway, so I go numb. I go noodle. So if they going to beat me, they going to beat me, but I'm not about to resist. You know what I'm saying? Like... I had, you know, growing up in the time that I grew up, my parents just like, yo, my mom gave me the story. She was just like, just let them do what they got to do. You know what I'm saying? Because you're just trying to make it home at this point. So they check in my pockets. He's he's He swears up and down for some reason. I got a crack pipe on me. I don't think like I, I don't think I look like a crackhead, but in his mind, I got a crack pipe somewhere. So this motherfucker uh, goes through my pockets. And he finally comes across like... I always have this, I always have my military ID in my pocket just loosely. So he goes through my pocket, he sees my military ID, and all of a sudden it was like, I got the golden ticket into heaven. Like, everything changes. This motherfucker looks at me, and he's like, why do you didn't tell me you were in the military? 
I was like, you told me to shut the fuck up. Like, right. So, like, at this point, they see my military ID, man. They just back away. They get in their car, and they just pull off. And that was the end. But for, like, 10 minutes, cuz, I swear to you, I thought I was about to get up out of here, man. Like, that was, like, one of the most terrifying, traumatizing situations I've ever been through in my life, man. That shit was crazy. But Damn. yeah, it just like goes to show like how like that military ID just possibly saved my life. But that I think that's why I I don't like Las Vegas. Yeah, if I had an experience like that, I would never want to go back to Vegas. Maybe so, maybe I'm a daredevil because I've been back like four times since then. But I just yeah, maybe you are. I I just like it's just not my bag though. Yeah, I can dig it. I like Vegas, though. How many times have you been? Uh, like four times. Oh, okay. What show? You was there last week. No, last summer. Oh, okay, okay. So what's your, yeah. what's your favorite American city? Like major city? Hmm. Uh, I would say growing up, it was Chicago, but I really love LA. Me too, man. I I dig it. Everything closes like the nightlife scene closes kind of early for me. Yeah, but... yeah. The thing I don't like about LA, like after like ten, the only food that you can eat is like yogurt. Like I hate that shit. But other than that, um, yeah, I love LA. Yeah, I don't like. I think I think the clubs close at like two out there or some shit. But other than that, like I, I I really like LA. It's like it's big, it's spread out, and nobody is like in a in really a rush to like get places. Like they going places, but it's not like like New York. That shit is that shit is too big for me. It's like boom. It's it was like swimming in the ocean for the first time. I was like, nah, I don't like this. <laughs> I can't touch the bottom here. This is not my vibe. But LA, I like LA. Yeah, I like LA because if you look at the top three largest cities in America, New York, LA, Chicago, like Chicago and New York are very similar, but LA is nothing like Chicago and LA. I mean, LA is nothing like Chicago and New York. Hell no. Nah. I mean, there's really nothing like LA, to be honest. I'll say the closest probably would be maybe Miami, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's no place like LA. Nah. LA is so crazy. Like Tupac went out there and nigga actually thought that he was like from the West Coast. <laughs> and then got disillusioned. Right. Like this dude is from Harlem. He went out there like West Side. <laughs> on you, we bomb on you. And to live and die in LA and West Side is the best side. That's how I felt when I was out there, man. Like first time when I went out to LA, I was out there for like 30 minutes, I was like, yeah, man, I'm from L.A. Yeah. <laughs> women, women, weed, and weather, man. It's just a different type of energy out there. Yeah. I remember. I don't even know what it is. It's a different. That's what I like about Vegas, though. It's just a different type of energy. Like, a lot of American cities, you go, I mean, they all have their own unique flavor. But for me, Vegas <laughs> and L.A., it's just a different type of vibe, man. Yeah, I I mean, if I 
if I somehow, you know, come up on like seven being like a seven figure nigga, I would move to LA. Have you been have you been to Houston? I haven't been to H Town. I never really wanted to go to H Town. Shit, I like I like Houston. I used to have like this bias against Texas because every dude I ever met from Texas was like super obnoxious, and I never, I never really liked them. I mean, I got a friend from I I got one associate from uh, Texas. He's a real cool dude, but most people from Texas they like real obnoxious. But after going down there and like I was in Dallas. Uh, Austin, Houston, like last summer. Yeah, man. I think after it's all said and done, my military career is over. I'm moving to Texas, man. See, I have Dallas on my bucket list, but Houston is not on my bucket list. I mean, you can't go to Dallas and then not go to Houston, though. Like, Why come on. That? What? Because, like, Dallas is nice, but Houston, like, bro. It's just, it's just different. You just gotta check it out. Like it, you gotta see it for yourself. Now I like the culture of Houston, like the urban hip hop culture. Like I like screw music and you know switch the house, screwed up click. But I don't know, man. I just never, you know, had H Town on my bucket list. I mean, it's a dope ass city. They got like the. I was surprised to find out that it's home to the second most corporations in America outside of New York. I thought it was like Chicago or LA, but it's actually Houston. They have a, a dope ass economy out there. They getting money out there in the eighth round for real. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things too. But like I said, man, you just got just gotta check it out, man. Um it's just something you gotta you gotta feel that energy for yourself. I didn't I didn't really get it until I was out there in it. And I was like, Yeah. I'm actually trying to my well Whenever there is some normalcy again, I'm actually trying to go back out there because, like, one of my friends is out there. He's been trying to get me to come back. He wasn't there when I was there last summer, but I'm going to try to make it back out there. But um, transitioning, I wanted to I wanted to get your thoughts because I was – I had seen they were talking about, like, the, like the versus battle and shit like that. And you a hip-hop head. And my thing is, who would you like to see next in a versus battle? Because I don't really think the the matchups have been... Um, I, I just didn't really get the matchups. Like the Jada Kiss and Fabulous matchup. I didn't really get that. Uh, I expected Snoop Dogg to pull it out against DMX. But apparently, DMX won that. So if you could see anybody in a versus battle... Who who would you like to see and why? Ooh, that's a tough question. Well, off the top of my head, I would love to see Jay-Z and Nas. That shit will never happen. But you asked me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Let me rephrase that. Some, if, if you could see anybody in a versus battle who... Who would realistically do it? Who would you like to see and why? And plus, Jay Z, I, I feel like Jay Z would win that just because of his commercial success versus Nas. Yeah, I think, first of all, we have to look at the criteria for the versus battle as 
I understand them. And it's like a person chooses their best 20 songs, right? Yeah. Like, these are songs that your DJ played, that you, you know, pre-selected, whatever, right? So when I was watching the Abelis versus Jada Kiss battle, I felt like Kiss won because of his strategy. You know, Kiss is playing bangers, like hardcore bangers. Fab was playing hits, but, you know, Fab is more in the R&B space. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like a lot of those songs that he had, it just wasn't, like, giving you that same, like, energy that Kiss was giving you. Yeah. And I think that Fab was kind of, like, trying to play into J.D. Kiss's hands by starting to spin more street records. And it's like, that's not your lane. You know what I'm saying? Like, Fab, he can get on a mixtape and he can spit a hot 16 with the best of them. But, like, J.D. Kiss is, like, you know, probably the greatest mixtape rapper of all time, arguably. So that's his lane. You know what I mean? J.D. Kiss is not going to kill you with big-ass hits. He's going to have crazy-ass beats and the craziest 16. You know what I'm saying? So... That's the criteria. So we're just talking about Jay-Z versus Nas. I think it just depends on song, song selection and who start the battle off with what. Like, if Jay-Z start the battle off with Hard Not Life, you know, what is Nas' strategy? What's the next song he's going to play? Is he going to match that with a street anthem like Made You Look? Or is he going to go left and play something like If I Rule the World? Yeah, but... So, so to answer your question, yeah, I would love to see Jay-Z and Oz, but I don't feel like it should be fantasy because I'm not talking about their brand outside of the genre of rap, but I don't feel like Nas nor Jay-Z are bigger than Snoop. I don't feel like they're, you know what I'm saying, like above being able to do a versus battle if Snoop did it. Like, yeah, but... This shit, this shit has gotten to the point where it's like the slam dunk contest. You know what I'm saying? Like the the most the the best, most versatile, explosive athletes always competed in the slam dunk contest until you got to a nigga like LeBron. You know, like if Jordan right. can do it, anybody could do it. But now it's getting to a point where it's like if Snoop can do a versus battle with 30 years in the game, you know, with his with his catalog, then anybody. Could do it, but Shea Butter Sean is not doing a versus battle, man. Like he 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 ain't getting in there. And I feel like to me personally, if you go and do a versus battle with Jay Z, the only person that could like to me match him like commercially or some shit like that would be like somebody like Kanye, Wayne, or like a Drake. If it's not that, then I just don't see. Nobody being able to pull it out because of the nostalgia attached to Jay-Z, the level of success that Jay-Z has, you know, acquired. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see Nas having the ass under him to like pull that out. Like, like with the masses, because the masses don't have an appreciation for him as much as, you know, like the hardcore, you know, fans of the genre. I don't know, man. I think uh, Jay-Z, besides, I think Drake has the most successful um, record of singles. But I think Nas has like seven straight number one albums. 
So Nas will always be like the prodigal son of hip hop. You know, Nas was regarded as like the resurrection or the reincarnation of Rakim. And Illmatic was kind of like considered by many as the consensus best hip hop album of all time. What? So, yeah, yeah. I always say it'll matter in regard as the greatest album of all time, even though I don't agree with it. Um, you know, I don't think it'll like album movie. overall or debut album. I I've heard debut album, but album. Yeah, man. Like if you ask, if you ask, well, the majority of rappers in the game. I mean, if you ask the majority of rap fans in the game. I think like consensus. What demographic? You got okay. You gotta you gotta say demographic though. People over thirty five because I think that demographic is the most credible opinion. Wow. Especially you said wow. Yeah, because now you can age me out. Yeah, because when everybody came out, you were like, what? Like yeah, yeah, true. (laughs) So I'm just saying like. If you ask most people, 35 over, what's the best rap album? I'm pretty sure Paid in Full is going to come up. Reasonable Doubt is going to come up. The Blueprint is going to come up. Illmatic is going to come up. But I guarantee you, if you did a poll, Illmatic would come number one. Yeah. Not that I agree with it, you know, um, but I think that the branding of Illmatic 20 years, 25 years later after his release is like, I mean, I was doing Illmatic at Carnegie Hall, man. And then you say, okay, well, let's take Jay-Z's best album. Most people are going to say The Blueprint or Reasonable Doubt. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think if you're probably your age, around your age, you're probably going to say Reasonable, I mean, Blueprint. If you're probably my age, you're probably going to say Reasonable Doubt. You know what I'm saying? I would. Um, his best? I would say. Yeah, I think Volume 3 is his best overall project, but that's just my opinion. Mm, nah, I would say for me, I would go with probably Blueprint, but if I'm like being true to my, true to my heart, I would say uh, Black Album. The Black Album? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jay Z has three classics, man. Like the production on Black Album is crazy. The lyricism on Black Album is crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know what Jay Z was on when he was on Black Album, but he ain't never been in that bag again. He was on Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, true. Because he did say that's that was like his favorite rapper at the time. Yeah, the double entendres. <laughs> Shout out to Lupe, man. Like. At that time when Black Album came out, like, people don't know. I know this through you because, you know, I was listening to, you know, like, Lupe, like, the mixtape Lupe. But at that point in time, like, Lupe was a different animal, man. Like, what they got with Kick Push, like, that was like a watered-down version of Lupe. In my opinion. Yeah, that's Lupe. Yeah. Like, at that point... Chicago, Lupe. Like, when Black Album came out, like, the... Who I was listening to like extensively at that time was probably like Lupe, uh, Jewel Santana, 
and probably I think like Graf. Oh yeah, Graf was crazy nice back then. Until he made like the MySpace jump off. <laughs> and like yeah, and, and jumped off his career. But yeah, those those are like, like the, grand opening, grand closing for him. Yeah, that was those were the three. And but like Jay Z, he was definitely on that Lupe wave on Black Album. And Black Album is probably my uh my favorite whole like it gets the most replay for me because Allure is my favorite like Allure is my favorite song. You say what? I think when it comes to the debate between Jay Z and Nas, I mean there's really no winners and losers. It's a matter of opinion. It was Kobe uh, it was Kobe and LeBron. That's probably like one of the only debates that's more more divisive than the Jay Z Nas, like Kobe and LeBron. I think like when I was growing up, the Biggie and Tupac debate, like around yeah '96 until like 2001, you know that shit was pretty weird. But for me, I was a big fan of Biggie, a big fan of Pop, a big fan of Nas, I'm a big fan of Jay Z. But I think for like people who feel like Jay Z is the better MC, better rapper, I think it's mainly because his. I think it's mainly because his production, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, he's only worked with the the greatest producers of all time. You know, he had Primo, Nas. I mean, uh, Primo. Uh, Kanye, Jess Blaze, Knife Wonder, fucking, uh, what is it, Guru? Yeah, I think Jay-Z has a better ear for music than Nas, whereas I feel like Nas is a better MC, but I don't feel like Nas's lyricism far outweighs Jay-Z's ability to Spit crazy lyrics in his own right, but then had a crazy beats to go along with it. You know, like Jay Z is like probably the only rapper to like just have the ability to stay ahead of the trends and create trends. Like Drake is kind of like that, you know, Kanye been like that. But, I mean, Jay-Z did that shit for, like, what, seven summers or some crazy shit like that, you know? Yeah. It was just, like, Jay-Z would break his ways in a certain direction, and everybody wanted, you know, to have ways like Jay-Z. Yeah, Jay-Z but... The, everybody wanted to rock Iceberg. We drank Belvedere vodka, and then he started drinking Belvedere. Like, that's the difference between Jay-Z and Drake, though. Like, Jay-Z, like, created the wave. Uh, Drake is just the silver surfer. He just ride them joints. You know what I'm saying? Like, he'll. Yeah, he is, but rapping Drake is a problem. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like, rapping Drake, nigga, just as nice as old, man. Oh, I don't don't agree with that. Rapping Drake? Nah, man. Hove? Toronto Drake? Hove? Nah, man. I don't. Like, Drake is nice. I give you, like, come on. Nobody will ever argue the fact that Aubrey Graham is nice, but just as nice as Hope. Jay-Z because he has never made an entire rap album like Jay-Z. Jay-Z, Jay-Z at 50 is just as good as a rapper as Drake right now. 
I mean, Jay Z at eighty would be just as good of a rapper as, as Drake at like sixty five. I mean, he got the gift. I'm just saying that I want to see Drake make a fifteen track album where he's doing nothing but rapping. Nah, he doesn't. He's not gonna do that because it doesn't fit. You know, before he retires. Nah, I don't see that. Drake has found the perfect pocket of giving you these streamable, you know, songs like, and he's gonna ride that. You can't get a. That 185 million fucking cargo jet with OVO owls and shit on it by making 15 track just straight rapping albums. I mean, True. I wanted to rhyme like Common Sense, but I ain't been rhyming like Common Sense. You know what I'm saying? It's true with him too. Hey, speaking of Jay Z, do you know why he home? Like, I finally figured it out. And it wasn't like what I was thinking originally. Hold up. Year. Hold up. Restate that. It broke up. Can you hear me? Yeah. Restate that. Yeah. I said, do you know why Jay-Z caused him to propose? Nah. Go ahead and tell me and the people. Okay. See, you know, he started calling himself over the guy, right? I should be rapping with a turban. And he started calling himself the God MC, whereas like Rock Him was known as the God MC. So I thought that was really like Jay Z just kind of like swagger jacking Rock Him. You know, it's like okay, Rock Him a lot. You know, Jay Z, Hope of the God. You know, I'm the God MC. <laughs> but then I was listening to Kingdom Come, the Prelude, and he was like, "Sure, he's rich now because he saw this shit, all this shit." That's why they call him Hope, because he came before all this shit. So what he's saying is that he calls himself Hope because it's like, you see what he's saying? When he's breaking that down. He, he saw all this shit, like all the chicks, the bricks, the game, going through millions of dollars and all this shit. So it's like, that's why they call him Hope, because he became, he came before all this shit. Like before these rappers was even talking about Crystal, I was drinking that shit. That's fair. Yeah, so I was like, yo, that's kind of crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why does nigga call himself Hove? Like, because he came before all this shit. Like, nothing comes before God. Like, nothing comes before, like, Jehovah. What's crazy is, what's crazy (laughs) is, like, if you go back to that album, like, Jay-Z was actually, like, spitting on most of that album, man. And, like, nobody liked it. Like, uh... The Prelude, Trouble, what was the other joint? Uh, Kingdom Come, when he was like, Peter Park, Spider-Man, all I do is rock, uh, climb the charts. All of them songs, if you go back and listen to them, like, Beach Chair, like, the nigga was spitting, man. I think it was because, at that time, Lil Wayne was mastering his style, and he was kind of like, one-upping Jay-Z. It was like, Jay-Z was like, at the time, Jordan on the Wizards. Like, he was still an all-star. Like, he could still give you 40. Like, you still can't guard him and everything like that. But he's not jumping from the free throw line. Like, Wayne was Kobe. Wayne was Kobe giving him 55. Yeah, or T-Mac. Either or. You know what I'm saying? But definitely. But matter of fact, that was like 05, 06. So, yeah, he was like Kobe or Wade. One of them two. Yeah. Like, um. But so, I mean, I was it hitting like that? Really and truly, like Kingdom Come was just really four, 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 just ten years earlier. 
But like niggas is like, oh, that shit was trash, shit was whack. But then like they grow up and they like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> it's like that, that's funny. It's almost like uh how uh damn, what's his name? The founder, uh Steve Jobs, he was like, like the consumer don't know what they want until you give it to him. Yeah, I guess like with Jay Z, you know, he was like limiting the treatment from the government, you know, talking about George Bush. Um, you know, he was kind of somber on that album. It was a comeback album. Um, you know, he's working with A-list producers like Dr. Dre and everything like that. But I just think that like it was something missing, you know, from that album. Well, I think a lot of it is he was, you know, uh I think he was trying to find his hunger back, you know? Yeah, and I guess his fan base was detached at the time because like the country was fucked up and we ain't trying to hear about you, uh, you know, going somewhere, you know what I'm saying, with Beyonce and rapping about Hollywood and all that shit. And we like entering a, we in the midst of a recession, you know what I'm saying? I think that was a bit of it too. But yeah, that had something to do with it. But then it was also like when Lil Wayne did his own version and showed me what he got. Oh, that nigga killed that shit. (laughs) right that's what i'm saying so it was like oh shit like like this dude is like is he better than jay-z like he killed show me what you got he killed uh everything uh upgrade you like that upgrade you that shit was crazy man that's what i'm saying man like you know little wayne did the kobe the jordan he like took his style and updated it you know he added on to it I mean, that's essentially what Future did with Lil Wayne's style at the time. Like, Lil Wayne had entered that drug, singy type phase, and Future just came and took that shit. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens, man. You know, you want to be the best, you got to study the best, and then put your own, you know, style to it. Yeah. Because, like, you know, what Lil Wayne did... To um, you know, those instrumentals and those freestyles back then, it was like crazy. I don't think that should ever be. That should never be done again. In two thousand seven, I think they said this dude put out like four hundred and fifty songs that year alone. Yeah, he definitely like Little Wayne, Future, Gucci Mane. They definitely had the best work ethic since Tupac. Definitely, you got to give them that. Yeah. I actually read Gucci's autobiography. It was pretty. It was pretty. I read it while I was deployed. It was pretty decent. At one point in time, this nigga was the boogeyman. Now, now he a clone, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I was thinking about checking it out, but. Um, well, I got it for free, so. Yeah, that's why I said. I was like, Gucci Man's never really been an intriguing person to me like that. I got it for free. I had time on my hands, but, you know. But I heard that he's actually, like, very intelligent. He said he was, like, a straight-A student or something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it, it takes a level of intelligence to get to the level that he's at. I mean, you don't get there by mistake, but... Oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> but, um, so, we've been going for almost an hour and a half, because, so... You know, I just want to 
before we get out of here, I want to give you an opportunity to plug some things that you're working on, give people some insight into what you got planned for the future, man. Yeah, so right now, just go to Studios. Hold up. Com. Hold up. You breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, all right. Now? Yeah. Yeah, so right now it's all about 816 Studios. You know, go to www.816studios.com and let us take care of all of your digital marketing needs. So know, We can help you make money even during a recession. Turn your $1 into 3 and turn your $100 into $500 in less than 7 days. Guaranteed. We work for free. So... Uh, could you give us a, a brief uh, synopsis of the mission statement of A16? What do you mean, a synopsis of the mission? Like, just a, uh, just a brief overview of, you know, like the services you provide and, you know, like your mission statement. Oh, well, we're a digital marketing agency located in Atlanta. We work primarily with small business owners, small to medium enterprises, and startups. So um, this the services that we provide is pay-per-click marketing, Google ads, social media advertising, SEO optimization, especially local SEO optimization, which is something that um, is becoming a lot more dynamic as more local brands are trying to stand up in their local markets and, um, you know, right now we have a lot of a lot of great stuff that we're doing for people in the e-commerce space. So all your listeners out there, if you have a dream about starting your own fashion label, you know, starting your own online business, yeah, get in contact with us. We can help you accomplish your dreams and you know, work with you until you, know, you see a profit. So if, if, uh, if a customer or prospective customer wanted to get in contact with you, where can they reach you? Do you have uh, any social media platforms, emails, things of that nature? Yeah, so it's at A16 Studios. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And once again, the URL is just www.a16studios.com. Well, there you have it. Um, I appreciate you coming through, uh, cuz, um, thanks for spending time with me. Thanks for being a, you know what I'm saying? A fun guest to work with. I enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on. We can talk about some other things. Uh, this has been another episode of Intimate Revelations. I'm your host, Nico Lamar, and I, I hope to be back with you guys soon, man.